Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Volrath Feed. I'm Rich Rupp, product trainer and chef here at the Volrath Company. And as always with me, my co-host and digital media specialist and our producer here on the feed, Justin Pearson. Hey, Justin. Hey, Rich. What is up today? Yeah, today, um, you know, we'll have our, our guest. And I, I always like to been doing this lately, and I think it's a really cool thing. I think we're probably the only podcast that has a recap. Do other podcasts do that, bring in somebody to, to do a recap? I've never heard of it. I think we've, we're blazing a new trail here. I think it's a fair question. You know, there's there's so many podcasts out there. I think it might be a little bold to say that we're the only one who does it, but wow. I would say we are in a select few. Yes, and yes, yes. I, I greatly appreciate it because it helps me remember all the great things that we talked about and, you know, those those take-home messages that right that you want to you want to remember and you know if if you're in a hurry and you don't you don't have time to listen to an entire episode i mean you could go right to the end get the cliff notes from nate and you could pass the test but you know just saying <laughs> yes but, but then they wouldn't get an opportunity to hear the guests and all the great things <laughs> right, that the guest right. is saying you are in the absolutely moment. right in the moment that's key i by far hope that everyone would would just listen to the entire episode but in a pinch yes okay all right so the point of it all everyone is nate does such a great job listening to our show and gathering those points together so if you are multitasking or you're breaking up an episode into a couple of days uh, make sure you stick around for nate's recap he just really has the ability to take the major themes of the show sum it up in a couple of minutes and i i think it's just a fantastic way for us to wrap up our show our guest today just for everyone's information is Matt Schuler, who is the Director of Culinary Development at Scopo's Hospitality Group. Well, Matt's a great guy. He's been to Volrath University in, in our training. He's been a chef in the industry. He's worked for um, one of our biggest dealers, the Volrath Company, which would be Webstrant or Clark Food Service. So he's certainly got a lot of experience and just a good guy. I mean, he's one of those guys you get to talking to and it's just going to be... I'm predicting another great show. Let's just say it that way for sure. <laughs> There's a lot of questions that that I feel like I need answers to, you know, particularly just just his job title, culinary development. That sounds pretty straightforward, but I'm sure there's a lot to that that I, I'm, I have hasn't even crossed my mind. What does culinary development mean, in particularly for a design firm? Well, it's the perspective that he brings, right? Mm-hmm. He can talk about some of the things that you just. You, you got to have some experience in it to, to understand it. So he brings that in and it takes all, everybody's got the input, right? He, he just brings right. it together for that side. Yeah. I, I feel like he is a type of element to that equation where, you know, you get something designed up for a space and everything looks great on paper and it's working flawlessly in that, in that vacuum. And then if you were just to go and build it, there would be all sorts of <laughs> oversights and, and glaring omissions that if you had just consulted somebody who's had years and years in the industry, working on online, being head chef, all that stuff, you could have avoided that prior to construction. <laughs> That's those moments in a meeting where people look around and they go, what? Really? <laughs> it was so simple. We didn't do that step. Come on. Yeah. And those are all the things that are hindsight, you know, it's yeah. like, oh, why? Yeah. You know, of course. And in any any industry, I mean, let's be clear, right? It's not we're talking. Right. It's just any industry. If if I were to design a, a service center for cars, I have no experience in that area. Why would I be the expert on on that? Even though I have 
you know, experience designing spaces and things like that. But just get the people that know what they're doing together. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Always surround yourself with with people who know what they're doing. Right. That's why I have you guys around. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> well, we let's be truthful. Nate keeps us both looking good. <laughs> All right. Well, um, should we get at it? I think we're going to be up against time today with our guest. As I as I say, Matt's a fun guy to talk to. I think we're going to have a lot of good things to talk to him about. So I would like to I think, jump in and, and bring our guest on. And just to remind everyone once again, Matt Schuler the Director of Culinary Development at Scopos Hospitality Group. Matt, welcome to the Volrath Feed. Uh, Rich, appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Uh, always a pleasure to connect with uh, uh, old old friends and yeah. uh, people in the industry who we've crossed paths with, paths with in many different ways. So uh, right. thanks for having me on and glad to contribute. Well, well thank you for that. Yeah, we, we love... Uh, hooking up with some of our old friends and, and people that, as you said, we've known each other for a while and, and our, you were in some past positions and you've been to Volrath and we've collaborated on, collaborated on a few things. So it's fun to get to talk again and find out what you're doing over at uh, Scopo. So, um, but you know, because you've done a lot, would you mind just taking a moment and kind of stepping us through, you know, where your progression in your career uh, has come from, where you started, where did that passion or that, itch to get into the hospitality industry start and kind of just tracking to where you are today? This, this is a great question and a story that I love talking about because I think it uh, hits home with a lot of individuals in this industry. As you know, growing up uh, with a, an Italian mother and a German father in a very deep southern town, um, it was food was my life, you know, and people always were coming to my house to eat because they knew there was always dinner on the table for 15, even though there was only five on a regular basis, <laughs> um, you know, and, and being the youngest of, of three boys <clears throat> and I'm from Dalton, Georgia, uh, which is the carpet capital of the world. So shout out to the flooring industry. Um, and most of the people in my town, including my brother's all went into the flooring business. My father was in it. My mother was in it. And there comes a time where I think the youngest child comes along and your parents say, hey, you know, we really don't care what you do, but we want you to love what you do and and go do that. So I was never really into the academia aspect of school. I was into the social aspect, the sports, uh, and I really loved to cook. So my home ec teacher, uh, my sophomore year, grabbed a hold of that passion and got me a job at a local country club um, on Mother's Day weekend of all weekend. <laughs> trial and by fire. <laughs> it, tra- well, trust me, I, I walk into that situation. I will never forget this first day of my life. Uh, was an ACF uh, culinary Olympian. Uh, had a great ACF mentorship program at the club itself. And, uh, you know, there I was working 16-hour shifts And, uh, you know, thinking to myself Monday morning when I got back to school, what in the world did I just get into? (laughs) Um, And I loved it. And it stuck with me. And my parents said, hey, that's great. However, we would like you to get a degree. So I went on to Johnston Wales University, um, got my associates and a bachelor's degree. And then, you know, back in the 90s, we all thought we were going to be Emerald, I guess, you know, and own our own restaurant. 
restaurant and, you know, uh, life, life opens up different avenues and different doors. And I just started working my way through different sectors of the industry. And, uh, you know, I knew roads would take me to different spots, doors would open in different spots. And uh, ultimately, when I was 17 years old and I walked into an assisted living facility to see my grandmother, who was Sicilian and complained every day about the food, I knew some way, shape or form that I would somehow make my way back to this scenario to make their lives and that dining experience better. So here I am today, dining senior living, uh, designing senior living restaurants all across the country, all levels of care, hmm. and finally found what I feel like is going to be the career for the rest of my life. Wow, that is a great story and, and fantastic. The, the, and all your experiences kind of roll into where you are today, right? Everything you've done is helping where you are today. It it, it has, you know, mm-hmm. and, and once again, you... I, I tell even the, the younger generation of, of chefs and, and people wanting to get into the industry, listen, no matter what sector you end up with, you really need the backbone of working in the operations sector for many years. You know, some people jump out and they want to become corporate chefs right away or they want to go do, uh, you know, food TV right away or they want to have uh, their, their little YouTube channel or whatever. But I just beg people, hey, get the foundations, really learn what culinary arts is all about, what these kitchens are all about, what the restaurant industry is all about. Then maybe decide, okay, this isn't what's for me. I know there's other avenues, but at least now you have the backbone to talk about, to bring those experiences to the table. So whether I was working for a dealer, you know, I was able to kind of help with design. I was help training our, our employees about the products. Now I'm able to take all of that. You know, I never knew so much about equipment working for a dealer. You know, now I'm able to take my operations background uh, along with my now equipment background and get into a part of the industry design, which I never did before. But now, you know, six years later, uh, kind of leading the charge across the country in terms of, of how seniors eat and how we deliver food in a healthcare scenario. So, you know, Speaking of education, um, all too often, most, and this is for any job, any profession, most of our real learning happens on the job. And when you trace back your path, can you pinpoint a single job that you had where you, you really felt like you learned the most in that amount of time that you spent? From, from 17 the age of 17, starting as a dishwasher slash prep cook slash whatever the chef told me to do um, till I graduated high school and then came back every summer to work for him during college. I, I feel like those were some of the most educational years of my life. And I, and I thank Chef Vosberg, if you're still out there somewhere, um, <laughs> for, for that experience. Um, and ultimately, it was great because I was able to bring to school the things I was learning and bring to the club the things I was learning in school. And it just was a, a great, a great match. So school's not for everybody. Culinary arts schools are not for everybody. And there are many great industry professionals out there who did not go to culinary school. But I guarantee you one thing. They learned from a chef who had a solid uh, background and really cared about the fundamentals 
of culinary arts. You know, how to saute something properly, how to plate something properly, how to hold a knife properly, those types of things. You know, mm-hmm. school, school gave me a lot of things um, and a lot of those fundamentals. But for me, it was also a stepping stone from a networking standpoint. And Johnson Wales has a great uh, networking aspect and they're known all over the world. Um, and I uh, owe some of my best jobs, you know, to them, look, you know, looking back on it. But I think educationally, man, those those first three, four years of my life working under Chef Bosberg really is what uh, uh, gave me that foundation to, to move forward. Yeah, it sure is. Those fundamentals, the basics that um, you really teach you the right way and, and just the discipline to do them and uh, so invaluable. So is it a bit unusual then for a person with your background to be in the, the consultant side? And we hear of a lot more chefs being there, but um, is it a little unusual? Is this uh, something that 20 years ago that consultants had, or is this kind of a new thing that they've realized the value of those experiences that you bring? You're going to take me down one of these rabbit holes right now. And, uh, <laughs> and, I, and I'm okay with that because I, the, there, there are the food service consultant design industry in the past, I feel like had a lot of people who may not have ever really worked in the industry. Um, and I say that not knowing the true statistics behind that statement. However, I can say that how we do things is different than how most might have done things. And this industry used to look like where you would have a architect um, who would give you a box. That box was already set in stone. And ultimately, as a food service design consultant, you had to plug equipment into that box to the best of your ability and to a budget, and that was about it. Where I feel like things are headed is, and once again, not all chefs have uh, the personality as well to be in my sector of the, the, the industry as well. You, you really do need to have a personality uh, that can uh, educate, uh, meaning being the key word. And there are many great chefs out there who aren't great educators and there are many educators out there who aren't the best chefs what you have to find is a good mix of both um so so with that we we look at you know the full program you know and i'm looking at the flow of food and how many venues and using excel you know to calculate actual sizes of walk-in boxes based upon the meal counts per day so you know i i always loved math in school I hated English and social studies and anything having to do with reading. But when it came mm-hmm. to science and math and food, I really kind of excelled in those realms. And I feel like that's helped me uh, kind of get to where I am today, which is which is great. Yeah, you mentioned uh, being a good educator, but you also have to have a, a bit of a knack for problem solving, right? You have to be able to recognize things and solve problems because nothing works perfect 100% of the time. Nothing works perfect. And there is value engineering and things that we cost exercises that we have to go through because we're over budget or they can't expand a building, a building's uh, square footage. Um, so we are uh, left with this space that we kind of have to design to. But ultimately, I'm looking at or how I can uh, uh, what's the good word I'm looking for, how I can uh, portray or tell my message of, hey, we really need to do, consider this because it's 
best from a food quality or a safety standpoint. Um, so, so I kind of have to take a problem and I typically will dissect it. Uh, I'm kind of the guy who typically says yes to every problem. Yes, we can do that, even though we don't have a solution yet. But knowing that the team we have here at Scopos is, is, is smart enough to, to figure that out. So problem solving is my job on a daily basis. And it, not just from a design standpoint, but even operationally inside the, the business aspect. So do you have any stories or, or examples you can share that you feel your experience directly kind of helped in one of those scenarios where you've recognized something and said, hey, guys, this, this just isn't going to work here? Oh, specifically, it's tough. But I would say, let's just take the example of like uh, feeding uh, what we would call healthcare neighborhoods in a senior living community. And, you know, you used to, I used to walk in and I'd, I'd see these what they called country kitchens. And a, a country kitchen is a word that I don't know who developed or where it came from, but it was <laughs> a, a word that was used for a kitchen in a personal care or skilled care or memory care neighborhood of a senior living community. And, and, and I looked at it and I said, well, okay, yeah, everything's residential, you know, I, but I see the food service team using this stuff, you know. So ultimately trying to uh, educate an industry who was set in one way of looking at how to feed a certain population and try to educate them on why that scenario wasn't the best from a food safety standpoint. Mm. Um, so, you know, there's not a specific, hey, piece of equipment I wanted to kind of help spearhead, but it was addressing a larger issue, which was how do we keep one of the three most susceptible populations to foodborne illnesses safe during their dining experience? Um, you know, and, and I, I credit myself and my team and, and Scopos in general to kind of looking at uh, serving those individuals in a totally different way that allows for a very high elevated experience and quality and nutritional value of food. But at the same time, looking at it from the stance of, hey, we have to keep these individuals safe. And, I, and you can't put food in a residential refrigerator and think that's going to be OK. So. Mm. Yeah, I bet you run into uh, the saying, uh, but we've always done it that way. <laughs> but that's that's probably a, a frequent phrase that you're you're combating all the time. But I was wondering, are you able to switch off your brain when you go to places that you're not necessarily contracted with? Just say like going out somewhere and are you or are you constantly evaluating be like, man, that would have been so much better if they would have consulted a chef on this or they didn't even think about traffic flow at this point totally and and to kind of backtrack on your first statement about that's how we've always done it all right that that is the number one term i hear in the industry <laughs> that, that we typically design for in that senior living sector and and you get a lot of people who have been there for many many years 20 30 plus years you know you get a lot of old school chefs who are not used to the newer technologies in the back of the house um, and, and in the front of the house. So combating that is all about education and opening their horizons uh, and, and, and just exposing them to the things that can help them make their jobs yeah. easier. To go back to your uh, other statement, uh, I cannot switch my brain off in a food <laughs> service environment. 
Um, it is very tough for me. That's just the way I'm wired. I'm, I, I'm, I'm probably most chefs are probably wired that way. I mean, it's very hard for me to go out to eat. People are always asking me for rec restaurant recommendations and I have my safe bets and that's where I go. And it's probably because I know the people in the kitchen, uh, you know, or I, I know what's going on. I know how the food is prepared. Um, to give you a funny story, uh, my wife and I have been together for about, I don't know, 10 or 12 years now. Um, you don't uh, know? Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> it's probably not Matt, a good let me one give to you a little advice. <laughs> you got to know that. <laughs> uh, I'm I, sorry. Go ahead. No, I should, you know, I, and I should, I should, but we, I know, okay, so 2009, February yeah. 1st of 2009 is when we met. That was the first day we met, so at least know okay, that. Okay, all right. I right. also know that because it was a Super Bowl party and the Steelers were in it. Uh, of course, we won it. Um, and, of course. Uh, uh, so, and our birthdays were both the same next day. So that's how we kind of got on the conversation. Hey, cool. um, oh, wow. Going back to the, the funny story. Um, she's not big into confrontation and, you know, creating scenes at a restaurant and, and, you know, I, I know that. Um, however, I, my daughter and her now know what to look for when we enter into those spaces. Um, and we were at an establishment locally and she typically doesn't like when I'm facing the kitchen because that's all I do is look at what's going on. So, <laughs> so this time she decided she was going to sit on that side. And as soon as those double acting doors opened up to the kitchen and she looked in, she looked at me with the widest eyes and she said, hey, we have to go. And I'm like, what? She was like, I'm just seeing some things in the back of the house right now that you you wouldn't be okay with and I'm not okay with and we probably should exit this scenario so for the first time and this was only like six eight months ago uh, after about nine years of, of being together I was one of the proudest moments of my <laughs> life um, was when she said hey we, we, we've got to go and I think she just saw some sketchy sanitation stuff happening back there and you know I I uh, pride myself in, in letting her know that, hey, that is not okay. So it's let's get up out of here before we get sick, you know? So, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's funny. Teardrop from the eyes, like, yeah. so proud. <laughs> you, you should, the whole way to the car, I'm like, got this grin on my face. I'm smiling. She's like, what's, what's, what's wrong? I'm like, babe, I'm so proud right now. Like, <laughs> I can't even describe to you. It's like a proud dad moment right there, yeah. you know? So, <laughs> Yeah, it's funny when you go to restaurants, the way you face and what you want to see. And I, I try that. I try to put my back to the kitchen because otherwise I, I just over-occupy myself with the kitchen. Yeah, yeah. And I'm and I'm looking, you know, it's it's not just the bad. I'm looking at the good, too. You know, I'm yeah. looking at how I, how I can use that, how, how they built that weight station over in that corner mm -hmm. to look so efficient. Man, I'm going to use that in my designs tomorrow. And I'm going to take a picture of this. And I usually do. I'll walk over and I'll say, hey, mine, if I take a couple of pictures, I'm a restaurant designer. And they usually say, okay. And I bring it back and we dissect it and we build details around it. And uh, we try to utilize that. So it's the good and the bad when I'm looking at these things. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, we've talked a, a little bit here. You brought up senior living, uh, memory care. And what are the different things you look at when designing in those spaces where are the trends heading from what people may think of those facilities yeah this is a this is a great question that might lead to a couple different directions um we uh i don't know what they say like 60 it's a crazy number of of people entering these facilities every single day um 
with that, the past couple of years, as, if you, as you know, have uh, really put a strain on how we delivered food to all of these uh, levels of care, whether it's independent living, you know, that's a, just a normal restaurant or it's, or it's skilled or memory care. Um, overall, labor shortages are not helping any scenario that we used to look at in terms of design. I have to now look at how many staff members and what does it take to deliver the same level of food experience to all these levels of care um, and how can I use technology to our advantage? Um, ultimately, um, we, you know, in a, in a skilled care environment, it's breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you know, and it could be uh, 15 people a day. It could be 120 people a day. And, and how do we give them the most dignified, and I like to use that term a lot because this is, is what I consider dignified dining and how we design everybody, no matter the level of care, should have a similar dining experience as much as possible. Um, so the front of the house has come a long way with technological advances in how we can deliver food. I'm even putting robots into a lot of the establishments that will act as food runners to deliver food from point A, i.e. the expo station, to point B, the dining room, so that our servers, the ones who we really you know, are the backbones of, of that dining experience for those residents and they see them three times a day, how can I get them to be in the dining room the majority of their time? Instead of wasting time running food back and forth to the kitchen, let's keep them in the dining room. Can I get a robot to deliver these two plates to table 42 so that server can still have a conversation and an experience and a touch point with that resident every single day? So, um, you know, the way we look at design right now um, is much different than what it was three years ago and is really different than what it was 10 years ago. And it's ever evolving. You know, you, you've got to stay with the times. I've got to be doing my research. I've got to know what's what's next and what is next. We have to try to mimic the restaurant industry as much as possible because the younger boomers out there, you know, my parents, they're used to the, these dining experiences. They, you know, they're used to touchscreen POS. They're used to ordering uh, a coffee and a, and a sandwich on their phone right now, you know, and we gave them great exposure to that the last two years as well. So for a lot of communities out there who say, oh, our residents might not be ready for that. Well, maybe not today, but we have to get ready for that because it's here, you know, it's, it's coming fast. I really like that about using the technology. You know, a lot of people are, are really interested in, in robotics and that side of automation just for the sake of it's new and it's fresh and it's exciting, but you're utilizing that you're using robots to actually add humanity, you know, allowing the servers to be out there at touch points and continue conversations and, and things that are important, things that food is supposed to do, you know, and, and for, so and for a job that we can barely find anybody to do to begin with, you know, food runners are tough. You know, if, if, if you can go make, $18 an hour at a very large distribution center down the road, you know, that we're all probably familiar with, um, mm. <laughs> you know, what, what's going to help me get this individual into our establishment at $12 an hour or even $14 an hour. So we have to look at, at how we can use AI or automation to our advantage, not necessarily, necessarily to replace people, 
It's just to provide a job that we currently can't find people to do right now. So, and the same goes for the back of the house, you know, so there, there are plenty of advancements there that have helped us really look at uh, the FTE count, full-time employee count in the back of the house and, and how we can shrink that a little bit due to what we're seeing right now. So when you're implementing a piece of technology, say like a robotic food runner, is that something that you have to build a contract out with somebody to service that? Or is that something that they hire locally in-house to manage? There are national providers right now that have kind of nailed this down more than one, to be honest. Um, I am just a kind of connector of the dots. So mm -hmm. we, we tend to stick uh, to the design aspect. However, when it comes to POS and technology and, and AI and automation, um, we want to kind of lead them in certain directions and let them, the ownership, make the decision on who they choose and, and, and what works best for them. Um, we we kind of want to stick to what we do best, which is the design side. Um, but it all plays together because ultimately you, we have a huge design where maybe I'm putting six dining venues into a, a community and to cross that finish line you can't just have a good design you have to have great pos and technology you have mm -hmm. to have great smallwares you have to have great branding you've got to have a lot of things um, that that help to make that experience top of the line mm. well, that's a it's a good point you bought you brought up about allowing the owners to make the decision because that's a relationship dance i would imagine allowing them to feel a sense of control like they're empowered to make decisions after you give them informed choices. Yeah. And fiscally, you know, they have to look at what's best sure. for them, you know, and, you know, if uh, I can help save them on, uh, you know, job safety or workman's comp because I can implement a certain technology that would help to prevent slips or falls or this or that, you know, that's, that's what I want to do. I just want to get it in front of them and expose them. Yeah. Well, one of the big things that we are, at Walrath is uh, a total cost of ownership where you look at the cost of a product over the lifetime of it. What type of products are you suggesting to clients? Do you kind of like feel them out first and be like, well, they're probably not going to want to spend this much on equipment or how, how does that work when you're proposing uh, certain equipment? Yeah. I mean, so I'm a neutral third party, you know, I have no ties with any manufacturer, I uh, don't make money off selling equipment. I don't get kickbacks mm -hmm. or, or, or rebates. We, we go solely off of uh, what we feel is best programmatically for the client. Um, and of course, trying to stick or adhere to a certain budget. So, you know, over our past 12 years uh, as a company, we've we've vetted, we hear back why we should probably never specify X manufacturer because of the issues it has, the problems it has, and the serviceability it has. And so we've just got a database full of information that allows us to make good decisions per the client because we have some clients who are, you know, high end money, not really the object. And then we have some clients that are mid-market. We really need to kind of be frugal with how we're spending that money. Um, but I also need to let them know that, hey, if this combi oven um, from a capital expense might cost you $25,000, I also need to educate them on the return on investment of how that is going to help 
uh, lower uh, stat counts, uh, increase consistency um, and experience overall. So yeah, we it's a it's a dance, you know. It's 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 getting people who a CFO who might not be familiar with food service and oh we we've done kitchens before and we built those for two hundred thousand dollars and why is your kitchen you know five hundred thousand dollars? Well, here's why, you know. So um, so got to look at the whole labor pro forma and what this means six months down the road, eight months down the road. So mm. I just mm-hmm. wish people would stop. So combi ovens, can we, can we talk combi <laughs> ovens real quick? Cause <laughs> it, we got enough out there. All right. So all you manufacturers <laughs> out there, stop producing combi ovens. All right. So <laughs> well, what's the next combi oven in your opinion? Do you have any uh, thing that you see as a, a technology that's coming along an innovation back a house that you're particularly excited about? Oh, that's a good one. No, I think I think just like in the way we can talk to certain devices, you know, our phones, our little smart home aspects, you know, I think you're going to probably start to see that from an oven capability. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll be waiting and looking forward to that because I think that'll help save some steps because in time. You know, combi ovens are great. But some of them have slow reaction times and, and seconds. We as chefs, we are not patient people, man. We like to open doors. We like, <laughs> to them. we like to close them with our feet. We like to keep opening and closing those doors and checking that product. So I, I think there's a way to, uh, to look at how we can use our, our, our voice um, and, and those mm. ovens kind of just learning our menus over time and consistency of product over time. So... Mm. That's an interesting idea, like a voice, like a headset, right? Oven fire or, uh, you know, something, <laughs> drop the, drop something in the fryer, just full automation. Yep. It, you know, and just, just like, you know, I was at the, uh, I was at an airport the other day and I uh, took my product, food product and just placed it under a camera. It wasn't even a scanner situation. The camera just knew what was on my plate. And was able to check me out. Why can the oven not determine what's in that cavity, um, you know, and, and the mass of it? And so don't get me wrong. I think we're we're ways out from that scenario. But listen, we're getting smart really fast. Uh-huh. Um, mm. And these kitchens are going to have to be smaller. They're going to have to be more efficient. Um, they're going to have to work with less people. Uh, they're going to have to have cavities that do different things. So there's another idea for you. Give yeah. me a com- give me a combi oven with three to four uh, different uh, cavities in it, so that I don't have to be in one setting for all six sheet pans. You know, mm. so and I know there's convection ovens out there that have different cavities for different temperatures, mm-hmm. but I think hey, if you can give me that same footprint where I'm able to be steam mode here, and you know fry mode there and grill mode here, I, I think we you know we'll start to see some some better advancements. All those things connected to would be the next advancement. Yes, one hundred percent. And and in a kitchen system, it you know there's there's this software package, there's that software package that does this, and this watches your temps, and this does your recipes, and this does this. We we need to cut start simplifying it so that it makes it easy for the chef or the back of the house staff to kind of accept and use. Uh, uh, the technology that is available to us in the back of the house. There's too many programs right now, man. And it's just, it's mind boggling. 
So I would like to shift gears a little bit and, and bring up a possibly contentious topic. Um, and it's it's something that's been phasing for a while here. But recently, uh, you know, as I'm sure you're aware, the report released about how gas is being uh, emitted from stoves and other appliances, whether they're on or not. Um, but this has kind of been a, a phasing out process and the slow death of gas in the kitchen. Are you designing differently? Are you having clients right now that are asking for, or are you running into restrictions and laws in some areas where you're not allowed to design with gas? There are some states that have already adopted uh, certain uh, measures in looking at kitchens and being all electric by like, what, 2025, et cetera. Now, there are exceptions to some commercial kitchen aspects, but uh, I believe, don't quote me on this, but California is one of those states where um, everything's going to need to be uh, electric. Now, with that being said, I am pro-electric. Someone who was trained on a gas range and always thought that gas was the most best thing ever out there. I now, you know, I, I have induction at home. I have induction in here in my R&D mm -hmm. kitchen. I can't tell you the last time I've turned on a, a gas range. It is it is more consistent, it heats up faster, uh, it is safer, it is better on the energy. Like there are so many pros to induction, it's it's crazy. That being mm. said, uh, I still think we have ways to go on bringing some price points down on that side of things, especially in terms of like heavy duty induction ranges with oven bases, things like that, you know, that those pieces are still insanely priced and I understand why, uh, and especially now with uh, trying to get all these, you know, chips and things um, fr from overseas. But I am pro-induction. Uh, we mm -hmm. use it um, all over our projects, especially in the front of the house. Um, we tend to not use steam tables anymore. I equate steam tables to food coffins. Uh, that is where food goes to buy. <laughs> uh, you know, so I like you, that. You, you, <laughs> You, you put the catch of the day in that steam table, man, it's dead about 30 minutes later. That broccoli, it really does not like 212 degrees steam pressing on it for 30 minutes. It really likes 180 degrees, 185 to really keep it nice and green and the nutritional value there. And with induction, it gives us the opportunity to really hone in on the exact temperature that the product needs. So macaroni and cheese, oatmeal, grits, Long are the days where I put those things in a soup well and they turn into wallpaper paste, you know, by the time <laughs> end of service is over. Nowadays, and I, I hope you don't mind me plugging Volrath, but we, we specify Volrath soup induction all over the country. Thousands of these units. Why? Because I want to be able to hold clear soups at a specific temp and I want to be able to hold thick soups at a, a specific temp. I want to be able to hold grits at a specific temp and allow them to stay that same consistency an hour later when I'm still serving. So mm. uh, props to Volrath uh, on that aspect. We use your drop-in and countertop soup well induction units on every single project that comes out of our office. So, Wow. Well, Thank fantastic. You. That was awesome. Thanks, Matt. Um, no, you can plug Volrath all day long. We're, <laughs> we're all about it. I, I typically stay away from, you know, saying manufacturer names in these podcasts. I like to try to keep things neutral and keep it, you know, but – you guys really nailed it on that unit. So, oh, mm. thank you. No, I, that's one of the ones. I, I, when people come to VU, they can tell. I'm pretty honest, and um, that is the one that I I'll tell them that is a champ. That unit is a champ. Yeah, it's, it's workhorse. So. Yeah. 
you know, and, and the advantages you spoke of, once you realize all those advantages, it's hard to go back to gas. You don't want to, right? Because you don't have all the things you just had with with induction. So I'm with you. I have gas, excuse me, I have induction in my home. I love it. Um, we had a gas range here for a little bit. And I think my wife and I looked at each other after a short time and we decided we needed to get rid of it and get an induction range in here because just all the negatives with gas, extra heat yeah. and hot handles and all that stuff. You just don't get it anymore. It's so nice. Yeah, you turn that flame on and you see that flame wrap around that pot and you're like, where's all this heat going? And then the majority of it is, is going, you know, elsewhere. Yep. So with yep. induction, I can literally, you know, just heat what I, what I need to heat and pull that off and have a fairly cool to touch or warm scenario that, I, you know, I feel good about. And, right. and for our sake, we do a lot of memory care neighborhoods and we do a lot of, you know, these neighborhoods in which safety is, is, is number one. Um, so being able to have these types of, uh, technologies in those environments has really helped how we can elevate that dining experience. Right. Right. Well, fantastic. That's all the good things we know about induction, right? Yep. Perfect. Yeah. I remember when I first learned about induction, when I first started working for Volrath and the concept was just like, I've heard of it, but I didn't really understand it. And I don't know if I still really understand it, but because you could just tell me it's run by wizards and pixie dust. And I'd be like, yeah, sure. I believe that. But <laughs> just the, the ability to program settings so that you can have that that consistency of quality every single time with a push of a button. I mean, that's just that's magic to me. Yeah. And there's there is, you know, probably and this might even be a low percentage, 60 percent of the industry out there who is just not knowledgeable enough about induction to, to really make an educated decision. Like if I just go up to any chef on the street and say, would you rather have gas or induction? I mean, I'd say the majority of them are probably going to still say gas. Cause I just think they're a not exposed B uh, don't know enough about it and maybe haven't had the opportunity to really use it, you know? And, and when we build, we build to a lot of standards. So whether it's a, a well building standard, which is uh, a very new, uh, newer standard, you might be familiar with lead, LEED is also a building standard, which is more about the building itself. Well, building standards are more about not only the building, but the people in them. So not only the customers or the residents or whoever that is, but also the employees. So when you look at a kitchen, if I can make the kitchen cooler, if I can make it quieter, it becomes a better quality of work life in that environment. The hotter we make it, the louder we make it, the more stressful things get. And there are actually studies out there where they have done, um, you know, the same restaurant experience in a hot, loud kitchen and the same one in a cool, uh, quieter kitchen. And the food quality was tested much better, of course, in the cooler, quieter kitchen. Hmm. Uh, so it's when we when we look at design, it's not just about uh, the the front of the house impact. It is how can I make the job better for the back of the house employees as well? Because you have to retain them. But first, we got to recruit them, but then you have to retain them and you got to treat them well. And I think no longer are the days where the back of the house staff is looked upon less. You know, I mean, these people are feeding um, America in all different facets of life, you know, so um, keep, keeping those individuals loving what they do. Uh, is really important for me because, uh, you know, food is life. Mm, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know if there's a way to test it, but I would be willing to bet that the better tasting food coming from a cool, calm kitchen 
probably has a little bit more love in it. I don't know. But <laughs> that, that's the secret ingredient. Very good, Justin. <laughs> and, and just so you know, that study said exactly what you just said. Oh, uh, get out. <laughs> there, there, was, there was more love and there was more feeling into what they were doing and what they were making. And that really goes a long way. It's same with open kitchens. You know, we used to be shunned to the basement. You know, I lived in mm. Charleston, South Carolina for seven years. And I can't tell you how many basement kitchens I worked in in a row home where it was 110 degrees on a normal day with a hot fan blowing because that's the only air circulation you got. <laughs> and by the end of service, I was just, you know, drenched in sweat, you know, like it, it shouldn't be like that anymore. And I think we've seen the progression of where kitchens are heading, the openness of kitchens, the transparency about who's making your food, how is it being made, how clean is it back there. So um, if I were to choose an open versus a closed kitchen to eat in, I'm going to go to the open any day of the week because the transparency factor for me is, is crucial. True, true. We've talked a lot about uh, senior living, assisted living, uh, memory care and things. You're in other areas as well, right? I, I, I think you're in education, some some of those spaces. Yeah, Stadiums we, I've seen, yeah. Yeah, we do, and we do a lot of country clubs right now. You know, a lot. That's a, that's a big sector for us because just like the senior living industry, you've got a lot of old, antiquated country clubs who did things a certain way and have mm-hmm. been around for a really, 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 really long time. And that was great for, for my parents in the membership aspect, you know, and but hey, now you've got a younger generation and we've got kids and we are all tech savvy and we want a little something more than just that 19th hole, you know. So <laughs> the, the the pool restaurants and pool bars and the outdoor dining have increased. The activity pavilions for the kids dining in those environments have increased, you know. So long are the days where it's a stuffy smoke-filled cigar room 19th hole we really have tried to help build back up membership which has been lost over the past few years because nobody wanted to join a stuffy club why why are you going to spend all that money when there's really nothing for the family so now we want to look at it and how can we accommodate the families in those spaces as well but yeah we there is no sector we won't design for Uh, we just happen to do a lot and specialize in 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 certain areas so Matt, I, as a as a guy who like you worked in the industry, you know we've you talked earlier about having that background and putting your time in, but it was also we talk about a lot of the negatives maybe about our time in, in some of those you know the basements, kitchens, and being hot and all that. But do you ever miss it? Do you ever do you ever get back into it and keep your hand at it somehow? So I, I did for a while, and I I uh, uh, know a lot of restaurant owners. In, in Lancaster, PA, which is where I live. And if you haven't been to Lancaster, here's my shameless plug for Lancaster. Uh, <laughs> v- voted, uh, you know, best place to retire, the, the new Brooklyn. Our restaurant art and music scene, downtown Lancaster, PA, is incredible. And you would be in for a an amazing experience. So that being said, even <laughs> in my past employment, uh, I would kind of work weekends, private chef, catering, you know, someone had someone call out on the line. Can you come fill in? However, over the past four to five years, as my role has changed at Scopos um, and have been more on the executive, you know, kind of level and development, I just have not had the time to do Mm -hmm. it. Do I miss it? 
yeah, I miss it. You're always going to miss it. You're always, yeah. you know, if you, I think if you're a true chef, you miss the grind. You miss the fact that every day is a little bit something different. Um, but that is another reason why I chose Scopos in the direction that I'm going in, because it's the same. Every, every day is different for me. You know, um, I'm traveling the country. I'm doing different things. I'm talking, uh, you know, in, at huge conferences about uh, dining and trends. And we have a beautiful kitchen here um, that I can bring clients in. So I'm still cooking. Um, it's just in a different aspect, you know. So but, yeah, I, I do miss the grind. And I kind of owe a lot of my soft skills um, to those days when I was in a basement um, at 110 degrees <laughs> and being able to handle pressure um, and think on the, you know, think quickly. So that's uh, something I'll never forget. Yeah. Yep. Well, I would yeah. argue that that skill set that you developed is applicable for any job, anywhere, you know, any profession. You know, those skills translate dealing with with pressure, you know, fast paced the heat and humidity being in Charleston. Yeah. So definitely. Just real quick. I think everybody should work in the restaurant industry for a brief time. I think the way I see people get treated by others in this industry is a shame sometimes to the point where, you know, I've almost had to stand up for the server or the individuals working in those environments. Um, You know, I I think, uh, like I said before, food is life. Food is what brings us together. And although it's one, 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 it's one person's job, um, you know, you don't know their situation and, uh, the restaurant industry can be brutal at times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, a lot of, a lot of other nations, they have mandatory military service. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, I think that we should in some way, shape or form have some mandatory hospitality or food service industry, you know, that would give so many more people the respect and perspective that, that they need. Yeah. Yeah. And if you work as a designer in any facet in this industry or as a consultant of any sort, and there's not food service on your resume as an operations aspect, I have to question that experience. So Mm -hmm. that's my personal opinion. Yeah. Good Mm -hmm. point. There's no way to to replace that other than doing it for sure. For sure. Like until you've stepped in that dishwasher's hands, how are you going to design that experience to the best ability for that individual? You know, out of a book? No, you really need to get your hands dirty and go work as a dishwasher and see what it is they have to deal with on a daily basis. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. they are the backbone of that kitchen. There are many times where at the end of the night, uh, I, w- I had to walk over to the dish pit to know that that person walked out and you just see the stacks and stacks that are sitting there and who's got to do it. I- I'm going to have to do it at that point, you know, right. so. Uh, I've always said, if you want to find out who's important in your restaurant, have your 16-year-old dishwasher decide they're not coming in that night. Yep, yep. <laughs> you, you learn real quick how important they are, for sure. Real quick. Yeah. Well, Matt, I, I told you guys uh, this was not to disappoint. Matt, uh, thank you for uh, being on the show with us today. We we certainly appreciate your time. I know you're busy, and thank you for your insights and all the, the, the things you've um brought to our attention here today we really really do appreciate it before we let you go one of the things we love to do with our guests is have you uh, talk about something in your career maybe a quote or something someone said to you that's influenced you or words you live by or use to guide you do you have anything like that you could uh, share with our listeners today you know that's a tough one my my what i always go back to is food is love food is Mm -hmm. life 
um, it's it's what connects us. Um, there are there are certain things like music and food uh, that just bring us together no matter what. And if you can make food, make it good, and bring people together, man, just just keep doing it. Whoever's doing it out there, that's a good one. I that's mm-hmm. so true, so true. Well said. Well, Matt, thanks again. Uh, really wish you the best of luck in uh, your career over at Scopos. Sounds like you're doing great, and you've uh, you enjoy what you do, and I'm sure that comes through in, in the, the day-to-day you uh, do for them. Yeah, thank you. I love what I do, and that's the most important part. You know, I barely feel like I'm mm-hmm. coming to work every day. Um, <laughs> so I want to thank you, Rich and Justin, for having me on today, and I uh, would love to be back sometime if you uh, ever ever see fit. Yeah, no, Most certainly, yeah. Take care, guys. All right. Thanks, Matt. Take care. Oh, well, that was fun. I I, I knew it would be. I, I knew Matt was, he's just a great guy, and we got along so well when we worked together with him. He was with uh, Clark. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm not going to go into it too much more. I think we should get right to uh, our buddy Nate and uh, hear what Nate has for us for a recap today. Nate? Well, thanks, Rich. The A couple quick things I want to touch on right at the beginning here. One, it's always awesome to talk to a VU alumni. It's even better to have a VU alumni on the show. So I thought that was really cool. The second thing I noticed was a few episodes ago, up until we had Master Chef Joe Lenardi on the show, I had never even heard of the Culinary Olympics. And now it's come up twice in this short span of episodes. So it's just funny to see that theme starting to work its way into the show. But in all seriousness, the, the thing that I really took away from this conversation the it sounds a bit cheesy to say, but the passion and the depth to which the passion exists in a lot of people we've met in the food service industry is just unmatched by any other industry. With Matt, it is so clear that there is no off switch for him. This is who he is. This is what he is passionate about. It's what he wants to spend his time and energy focused on. I don't know of many accountants that go home and just keep thinking about accounting constantly. You know, like not to call out a certain profession, but there are lots of chefs. There are lots of consultants. There are lots of people in food service that just don't ever turn it off. They have that passion that just doesn't go away. And Matt talked about some of the unique challenges our industry is facing right now. The kind of passion and energy he has is exactly what it's going to take to get through that, to overcome that, to find solutions to that. And so I just, I, I love speaking with people who are so passionate about what they do and just it seems that a lot of the most passionate people, at least professionally, just comes from the food service side of the world. And I just thought that was incredible. So awesome conversation. Matt seems like a super knowledgeable guy. And I think the industry is very lucky to have him. His his well-rounded background from being on the operation side of things to now being more on the design and oversight side of things. Anyone who gets to work with someone who can bring both of those things together, you're pretty lucky. So I, and we were very lucky to get the chance to talk to Matt today. Mm, agreed 100 percent. and nate thanks again for that uh you know you just got that ability to kind of bring it all together and put the bow on for us so thank you for your recap and justin any final thoughts yeah i would like to remind everyone to please please hit that subscribe button so you never miss another moment with a chef or food service industry professional again right and as always as i say in the beginning of the show let us know what you think reach out to us at volrathfoodservice.com slash the feed And in my close, I'd like to just once again say, if you do everything as if a customer was watching you, you'd know you'd be doing it right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great week ahead. Until next time, take care.